Hello, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Voices from 2020, an audio program powered by Stranova, exploring strategic reflections on our business present from the perspective of the future, and featuring your hosts, Bill Veltrup and Firehawk. It's one of several podcast series on the subject of strategic innovation in business offered by Stranova, a resource group dedicated to helping you achieve and capitalize on the incredible potential available for your own business. With our over 30 years of experience leading innovation, we know what it takes to turn ideas into profits. Please visit us to learn more at www.stranova.com. And now, please join us for this week's episode of Voices from 2020. Welcome to the fourth podcast in the Voices from 2020 series. I'm Firehawk, and I'd like to help you get ready to travel to the year 2020. As many of you might suspect, there are an infinite number of possible futures. Whether our collective future is wondrous or disastrous is importantly influenced by the choices we make as human beings. Bill Veltrip and I are convinced that we, as a species, have been grossly underestimating our capacity to choose a future that works for all. We've decided to pursue a path forward that helps us collectively envision and move toward an ideal future. To move towards wholeness, in other words. Here's what we've done so far. Our first stop was to petition the Guild of Evolutionary Time Travelers, GET, so that we could be licensed to travel to an ideal year 2020. You can understand that you couldn't just bop back and forth between the future and the present. All kinds of complications set in, and all you Star Trek fans would know exactly what that's like. We had to go through extensive training and processes and understanding and dialogue before we received our provisional license, but we made it. Our colleague and friend, Brad Bredersen, learned about this achievement, and in a typical burst of genius and generosity, he offered to have his Stranova site host a year-long series of monthly podcasts with Bill and I interviewing people with vision from an ideal year 2020. In the first Voices from 2020 podcast, Brad interviewed Bill and I. The big news from that inaugural journey was that the greater San Francisco Bay Area will be hosting the 2020 Infinite Games in the fall of 2020. Stay tuned to this series and to our website, VoicesFrom2020.com, to learn more. In the second Voices from 2020 podcast, we interviewed Gil Friend and Jeff Saperstein, and we saw how their deep commitment to creating regional dashboards to measure wholeness made a difference in an ideal 2020 future. In the third podcast, we interviewed Tom Attlee, who spoke of the power of becoming conscious of our own evolutionary journey and how that consciousness can serve the whole of life. This month, our interview is with Dwayne Elgin, an internationally recognized author and speaker who looks deeply beneath the surface turbulence of our times and explores the deeper trends that are transforming our world. 
He's the author of three major books, Voluntary Simplicity, Toward a Way of Life that is Outwardly Simple, Inwardly Rich, which was first published in 1981 and updated in 1993. Awakening Earth, Exploring the Evolution of Human Culture and Consciousness, published in 1993. And Promise Ahead, A Vision of Hope and Action for Humanity's Future, published in 2000. As a respected visionary, Duane's been at the forefront of exploring our evolutionary journey as human beings. He's also fascinated with sustainable ways of living, media accountability, and the whole territory of citizen empowerment and deep democracy. He also brings his lively visions to the convergence of the new science with the world's wisdom traditions. There was so much in the conversation with Duane that we've decided to have this month be part one of the podcast and conclude next month with part two. And now, let's travel together to the year 2020 and listen in on a conversation with Duane Elgin. We start with a focus on communication and three elements of vital importance to creating an ideal 2020. Here's part one, Duane Elgin. What do you see today in the year 2020 that says we've crossed a tipping point? There's one key uh, thread, and that is communications. And I feel it was our ability to communicate that uh, got us this far to the verge of a planetary uh, civilization. And it'll be our ability to communicate that will take us into the future. And so uh, there's not only the technology of communication, the hardware, but also the software of communication, learning new skills of listening and learning with one another. And I feel overriding virtually everything else is learning to use these new tools of communication, both hardware and software, in service of our own, not only sustainability, but a surpassing uh, future for ourselves. And so uh, looking back, uh, that's what I see, is that we've had an explosion in the use of these technologies and, and a creative explosion in, in social networking and in political networking and all kinds of other networking that has created a global consciousness and a global culture that never existed before. And essentially what we're, we have created uh, in, in these intervening years is the beginnings of a sense of self-image as a species. We're getting a sense of self-identity. And in the past, we had a, a sense of ourselves as nation-states, as ethnic groups, as gender groups, and all the rest. But now we're beginning to get a sense of collective self-image, a collective self-identity. And there are three aspects to that that I, I want we could explore in particular. That identity is, has a new relationship with the earth that's more sustainable. And everyone now agrees that we have to work collectively, pull together for a sustainable earth. And that's new. Uh, secondly, everyone agrees we have to live more compassionately. We're tearing ourselves apart uh, with, with blames and threats and denial and all the rest. And we have to just tell the truth, connect with one another, and learn how to live more compassionately with, with one another. And then thirdly, here we are... With 
with our new technologies, the Hubble telescope and all the rest, we see we live in this extraordinary universe. And what is taking us home is looking at our larger home outside of the Earth that we live in a living universe. And those three facets, a sustainable relationship with the Earth, a compassionate relationship with one another, and a sacred relationship with the universe are key elements of this new identity that's emerging with the communications revolution. What do you see that's different in terms of our systems, our processes, our interaction? that bring those three dimensions to life. Bring it right down to the local level. What's happening here in uh, San Rafael is a retrofitting of the entire urban infrastructure. And talk about a business boom. Uh, we have a boom in retrofitting and, and recreating our lives, both uh, individually within households in a more green, sustainable fashion, but importantly, more collectively, where a neighborhood is turning into a little island of sustainability and uh, a little economic engine in and of itself. And so uh, what we see is the retrofitting of society for sustainability and the wisdom for that and the insight for that is coming out of our collective invention as, as a global society. And so we're in the, in the middle of all kinds of political innovation with, with rezoning, for example, very tough to do, with changing how we invest in our urban infrastructure. Very difficult in the past, but with the communications revolution, we can now move ahead rapidly with that. Everywhere we look, we can see innovation that's supporting the uh, shift towards uh, a more sustainable future. Back in 2006, I remember you know, people were just slicing time so finely and, mm. and loading their lives up with so much. And so implied in what you're saying then is a, is a shift that, that feels like it's, that it's tied in with the localness, more, more knowing of each other. Absolutely. And then more reality of the world that we actually live and the, the economy of that world. Yes. So that we, we need to be in conversation with each other. Absolutely. Otherwise it can't work. <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's an imperative. Uh, those local relationships are critical. But so are then the relationships that may well be global that are through the internet. It's not to diminish that. It no. Both are imperative, but certainly knowing your neighbors, knowing how to, to live in a locally based economy. I grew up on a farm. I, that's how I grew up uh, my entire childhood. I, that's I, what I knew. We traded everything from corn and, and potatoes and onions and then sides of beef and all the rest. I grew up in a uh, kind of barter economy, a trade economy. You knew everyone. People were supportive. Yeah, we, we're reclaiming that in, uh, in, <laughs> in the context of this new world. People see the importance of conversation and community building and relationship building. Uh, it's now, it has become central to their lives. People in 2006, of course, don't have the benefit of having seen all that you've seen and we've seen. So implicit in what you're describing here in the ideal 2020 is some real shifts in what people consider to be important, how they define success. Yeah. So it's obviously their use of time has shifted. Mm. What, what else has shifted in terms of how people define success today yeah. that, that has you be so hopeful about <clears throat> the direction we're going? 
a shift uh, not only towards, let's say, triple bottom line accounting and, and recognizing the importance of people uh, as well as uh, the environment, as well as profit, but additionally purpose, a sense of purpose mm-hmm. that if the work isn't meaningful and if the work isn't directly contributing to the well-being of the earth at a time of real crisis, well, then why bother? Mm-hmm. And companies are finding a just a compelling need in the face of real adversity to show how they're showing up with compelling purpose. Mm. And so that is a huge shift. Companies are, and all kind, I mean, out of necessity, getting down to the push of necessity as well as the pull of opportunity and uh, purpose is integral to making uh, the shift. So that would be a big element of uh, success. Uh, another uh, critical element is r- recognizing that if we're going to do this, we actually have to pull together. We can compete all we want, but the ground rules for that competition need to be an earth where we're all pulling together. So it's not to negate uh, friendly competition, let's say, but the competition needs to be happening in the context of reconciliation and and healing of the earth and healing of the infrastructure of the earth, the biosphere, and and so on. So uh, another element of success has been the uh, expansion of the mandate of companies as as healing enterprises, Mm -hmm. as as sources of reconciliation, and a high purpose. And that then draws employees in powerfully in a way that just uh, pure monetary compensation uh, would not. What I'm getting also is how you started out focusing on communication and as we think in terms of what they what people consider to be successful what they see to be important what I'm picturing is a uh, synergistic and exponential uh, contribution of rich communication in terms of raising consciousness. And back in 2006, Gore said it nicely in the movie back then, which you may or may not remember, uh, An Inconvenient Truth. But he was saying the tendency was to go from denial to despair <laughs> without, any, without any break in between. Right. And what I'm hearing from you is that people have shifted that and they have moved out of denial. They're seeing the crises in many ways. The earth crisis is in a worse place than it was back in 2006. And yet they're using the crises now as a source of energy for creativity and for communicating and for building community. Right, exactly. Okay. Speak to the the role of feedback loops. So part of the special kind of communication that I think is, is crucial, especially with large systems, yeah. has to do with systemic feedback. And yeah. way back, way back in the, I don't know when it was, but it was as, as early as what, 2000, you were, you were interested in this area. And I'd just be, mm. I'd just love to hear you talk in terms of how those feedback loops have evolved yeah. through time and, and and give me some examples of it. Let's see. I, I've been interested in systems and feedback since the uh, 70s when I did a um, year-long study for the president's science advisor looking at the problems of large, complex systems. 
And that study for the President's Science Advisor was then used by Royal Dutch Shell uh, later in the 1970s for one of the uh, most massive reorganizations and decentralizations that they ever did. And basically, it was looking at the whole notion that when systems get overwhelmingly large, it's very difficult for them to get accurate uh, feedback. And uh, there can be a self-limiting factor to the growth of large, complex systems and a a compelling need to decentralize, disaggregate, and so on. And in a way, that's what we're seeing now Uh, in the 2020s. We're disaggregating down to a more local scale of economy and neighborhood and activity because that's just the way systems work more effectively, particularly if those localized systems can be integrated more globally. And that's what we can do through the communications systems that we have. And back in 2006, we were way disconnected in terms of feedback loops. And in particular, the public was very disconnected from uh, feedback about the condition of the environment, about species extinction, about resource depletion. They saw the price of gas at the pump, and that was a wake-up call for people. The starting gun went off. They saw the end of uh, cheap oil with that. But for the most part, the public was not getting feedback about the conditions uh, of the world. And in many respects, businesses were not either. They were so focused on short-term profits. How's the next quarter doing? That the integrity of the larger system, the ecological system, those profits were depending upon, that was being largely ignored. And we were seeing, for example, uh, groundwater depletion, ocean overfishing, and many other ways in which the environment was being compromised over the longer haul. So what I see now in the 2020s is a more mature poor sense of perspective, just kind of waking up, taking a broader uh, sense of things and a, a broader sense of responsibility and looking at the integrity of the earth at the same time, then focusing on the local economy and local requirements for sustainability. I noticed, you know, I'm the young man here. I'm only 72. Yes. <clears throat> but I've been struck as I listen to you by the level of enthusiasm and vitality in your words. And I do remember the, a lot of uh, despair back in 2006. And I wonder, what did you see that helped people to maintain a sense of possibility, yeah. even given some of the enormous challenges that we yeah. had already and that we will have? Yes. There's one thing that, that uh, in my experience, has come up again and again, and <clears throat> it's gone to the core of how we've approached this as a human family. And it's, it has to do with our sense of collective identity. And during this intervening uh, period, we have held up the mirror of the media to ourselves, and we have seen ourselves as an adolescent species. We've seen that we're just behaving like teenagers here in the way we're treating one another, the way we're treating the earth, the way we're treating our collective future. And we've held that mirror up to ourselves now for, uh, for the last 15 years, and we have decided it's time to grow up. It's time to simply to grow up. And, and when you grow up, you start thinking about the future. You, still, you start thinking about your family and, and their well-being and their education and basics like that. And we're beginning to have that just common sense regard for the entire earth. 
for the well-being of the earth, the well-being of the human family, how well are we being educated, and so on. And it's a very simple shift, but in that shift of uh, collective identity, there's a, there's a taking on of maturity, of responsibility, and in seeing that and just feeling that in the atmosphere of the world, we can, there's confidence that comes with that even in the face of great uh, difficulty. I remember when I first encountered you face to face, you were convening a group that had to do with feedback loops around media uh-huh. and television in particular. Yep. And at that time, you had done a lot of thinking about it, but you weren't getting traction. Since then, a lot yes. has happened, uh-huh. and I'd like to hear the story yep. of how that unfolded because that's big right now. Yep. I understand? So tell me that story. Well. What happened was that a community group in Seattle, Washington, a group that uh, included business leaders, university uh, officials, local nonprofit and community leaders came together and they said, in the face of these critical difficulties, we want a voice for our community. We want a community voice organization. We want to advance our constitutional democracy into the communications era. And he said, the First Amendment to the Constitution says we have the right to come together, to speak freely, to build a working consensus, and then to deliver that to our elected leaders. And we take that seriously. It's, it's in the Constitution. And so as a community, the Seattle community created a community voice organization called Cascadia Voice. And that organization then helped nurture the Seattle bioregion into a green future for itself, for example, Mm -hmm. into local economies intensely uh, at the same time that they were uh, working towards decentralization and integration at at a more decentralized scale. They were giving feedback nationally and even internationally. It turned out the folks in Seattle started talking back to the United Nations, not just to the President of the United States, but the United Nations as well. And as soon as other communities saw the power of the Seattle community and their Cascadia voice speaking truth to power, truth to the world, communities all across the country, Chicago, Philadelphia, all over began creating their own community voice organizations. And before we knew it, we had a world that was alive with locally based community voice organizations all calling for different kinds of conversations and recontextualizing the conversation of democracy and that new conversational atmosphere reframed democracy entirely, not only in the United States, but over a period of years in the world. And that is what is helping to advance the new identity uh, uh, that we're beginning to see, a new identity of greater maturity and responsibility. Back in 2006, all of this would seem pretty far-fetched to see that unfold. And we're broadcasting here to people who are still in 2006. Describe in a little more detail how the Seattle effort got started uh, and what were some of the first, what were some of the critical things that caused it to infect the world as it has? Yes. Well, it was a very simple uh, beginning. It was simply uh, community leaders coming together saying, we may disagree about all manner of things, but we do agree about one thing. And that is, we need to talk. We need to communicate as a community. We need a voice as a a larger community so we can relate effectively to what is happening here in the world. And so uh, they put aside their differences and said, let's work on the commonality, and that is to create a community voice organization 
for the Seattle region. Actually, there was about a dozen people that represented the broad spectrum of community interests. Not only, let's say, business interests, obviously, and the university sector, but also people from the YMCA. There were people from different ethnic groups that were represented, people representing labor as well as environment and so on. There's the whole diversity of the uh, Seattle community people that were recognized as community leaders okay. already. And the idea was not to exclude anyone, but to create a nucleus of agreement mm-hmm. that could then grow. Okay. And out of that nucleus of agreement came a basic understanding, and it was that we could create a community voice organization that had two basic functions only. It just did two things. One, it received uh, input from the public. What do you care about? What do you want to talk about? And number two, It created these electronic forms and gave feedback back to the public. Okay, you care about this. Here's how you feel about it. Here's the feedback. Let the chips fall where they may. Mm -hmm. So that's the only function of this community voice organization, to receive and and then to to give back. So it's 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 a neutral entity. It has no partisan and... It is transpartisan. It's inclusive. Okay, it's transpartisan. Yes. It's inclusive. And it, it's, and it cares, it's caring for the whole. For the whole. Yeah, it's, <clears throat> it's not neutral. It's very, very generative. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but what I hear is it's almost like a, a evolutionary leap from the function of a newspaper. In essence, yeah. what you're doing is you're using multimedia you're creating a group of people who represent wholeness. They represent the various interests. They are coming together around a higher purpose than a newspaper, but it still has to do with gathering news that is what it is you think is important and creating it and packaging it in a form that we can mirror it back to the people. Yeah. This is what you say is important. Yeah. So it's a it's a higher form of newspaper, a higher form of magazine, a higher form of TV. Station, well, let's in the, let's well the, in a perhaps in a sense the here's how I see it: the power in a democracy is the power to communicate. Okay. People today in 2006 felt powerless. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said, uh, we just don't have the power to communicate to the powers that are uh, in control of our lives. Okay. So what happened was a revolution in communication from the most local grassroots scale and the podcasts and sitting there doing blogs and all the rest to then the, uh, the grassroots bottom-up meets the top-down power of the mass media. And when the two meet, then we have a revolution in communications. Mm. And that's what occurred was the, with the, with the bottom-up revolution from the podcasts and, and the blogs and all the rest met the top-down revolution of the community voice organization. The two together created just, uh, just an explosion in, in communication. Mm. And it wasn't the top-down that was dominating. It was rather it was being responsive to all the communication coming up from the grassroots from 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 all of these other uh, diverse sources of communication. But the key is that f- functionally, the scope of feedback has to match the scope of the problem. And so, if someone is sitting there and just doing their little podcast, they're saying, "Who am I? I'm just one person." But if 
we joined together, and that's what happened over the years. People joined together not only in the Cascadia Seattle uh, Community Voice Organization, but then others, and not only in the U.S., but around the world, and a new community of consensus that was global in nature began to emerge, and that ephemeral, almost intangible atmosphere of consensus then infected the entire world with the possibility of a promising future. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Stranova's podcast series. If you'd like to learn more about Stranova's business services and the topics discussed in this week's episode, please visit us at www.stranova.com, write us at ideas at stranova.com, or visit our blog at blog.stranova.com. Our program materials are covered by a Creative Commons license, the Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives 2.5 license by Brad Redderson. And this is Brad Redderson inviting you to join us soon for a future audio program exploring where strategy and innovation intersect.